Welcome, Welcome to the Author Factor Podcast, the show for profitable insights and tips with business owners, entrepreneurs, and CEOs who use their nonfiction book to create the ultimate competitive advantage and grow their business. Grow their business. Grow their business. Here's your host, Amazon best-selling author and book publishing coach, Mike Capuzzi. Welcome to another profitable episode of the Author Factor Podcast. I'm Mike Capuzzi, and I want to thank you for joining us. My guest today is award-winning author Robert Kerbeck. Robert is the author of two books currently, Malibu Burning, which details his story of trying to save his home from the wildfires in 2018, and his recent book, The True Crime Memoir, Ruse, Lying the American Dream from Hollywood to Wall Street, which is the story of how a wannabe actor became the world's greatest corporate spy. Robert, welcome to the Author Factor podcast. Yes, thank you, Mike. I'm so excited to be here with a fellow Philadelphian. I saw that you were at the Super Bowl. Uh, yes, I saw you're an Eagles was, fan, which I'm an Eagles yes. fan. And then I come to find out, I, I recognize your last name. So here in Philly, Kerbeck is a big name uh, in the auto retail industry, and you're part of that family. So you were just catching up about uh, the whole Kerbeck cars uh, TV commercials and all that that still air uh, today. So thank you for yeah, joining me. Yeah, I love it. Worlds colliding. Yeah, it, it's and it's not the first time. That's what these podcasts do. It's really crazy mm. how that happens. But anyway, so Robert, you have the, I think, the distinct honor of being our first full-time book author on the Author Factor podcast. Most of our guests, you know, they're corporate CEOs or entrepreneurs, business owners, but you are now, because of some good fortune and a lot of hard work, you are now writing books. So tell us a bit about your background before you, and well, I want to dive in deeper with the corporate spy, but just kind of an overview of where you've been and, you know, up to today. Yeah, so, you know, I grew up in Philly, um, you know, and as we discussed earlier, you know, my family has been in the car business for well over 100 years. My great-grandfather sold horse carriages before cars were invented. My grandfather, uh, when he, he switched to automobile sales, my grandfather took over that dealership. My dad took over that dealership. I was supposed to take over that dealership. When I was in college, I went to Penn in Philadelphia. I fell in love with acting. Uh, I really wanted to try to, need, to move to New York to be an actor. I didn't know anybody that had been an artist of any ilk at all. So I graduated, I went to work for my dad and car sales just didn't sit right with me. It just didn't feel right. You know, there's a little trickery and, you know, sort of dishonesty with car sales. Um, so I finally get the courage to move to New York to be an actor. Actors need survival jobs. And who stumbles into a career as a corporate spy? But that's what happened to me, which of course is fairly ironic since corporate spying was far more dishonest than car sales. <laughs> so I have to ask, not only for my own sake, because I haven't read Ruse yet, but what does it mean to be a corporate spy? That's a great question. Yeah, so we all know the Russians spy on the Chinese, and we certainly know the Chinese spy on us these days with all the spy balloons, right? But what most people are shocked to find out um, um, is that major corporations are spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year to spy on each other. And, you know, we, we think about sports, you know, obviously we just talked about the Super Bowl. We know how competitive sports are, right? You know, and the edge, everybody's trying to get an edge, competitive edge, mental edge, physical edge. Corporate America is the exact same. 
the the C-level executives are willing to do anything and everything to learn about their top rivals, to learn their secrets, to learn who their top talent is, who the rock stars are so they can steal them and get their secrets, uh, what their pricing is, what their future plans are, and they hire spies to find out that information. What does that look like? I mean, are you going in as an employee? Like, what does it mean to be like, are you going in as an employee? And so there, there are a wide variety of ways that spies get information. And, and, you know, my journey was that, you know, when we started this job, we, we did, and this is early nineties now. So, you know, back in the day, um, one of the reviews described us as kind of LinkedIn before LinkedIn was invented, right? Because back in the day, you didn't know who worked at a firm, uh, what the organizational structure looked like, who the top people were on teams. You think about it, if your your you know listeners, you know, are, are, are hiring and everybody, you know, whoever comes in for an interview, they're always saying they're the best on their team, the best on their group, or one of the best. You know, and what we would learn is we would learn the actual metrics, because again, your listeners may, may not know, every corporation ranks their employees. Um, and so in the beginning, we did go to events, we'd go to conferences, we'd go to bars. But what we quickly learned is that the anonymity of the telephone enabled us to get far more information because we would use our acting skills, our voices, we would have accents, uh, we would create characters and stories, we called them ploys, uh, ruses, hence the title of the book. And we would get people over the phone, including major executives, to tell us things that they never in a million years should tell us. How long ago did you decide to write Ruse? Like when was that something you always knew you wanted to do considering how far back this was? No, you know, I, I started writing, I was an English major in college and then obviously got really into acting, moved to New York, uh, you know, worked a lot as an actor. I mean, I was a professional actor. I did plays, starred in plays off Broadway with James Gandolfini from The Sopranos, uh, Callista Flockhart, Harrison Ford's wife. Uh, got rave reviews in the New York Times, the New Yorker, then eventually moved to Los Angeles and did over 50 major TV shows. And that's kind of my favorite part of Ruse is it's two books. It's this corporate espionage, corporate spying book, which no one has ever seen before. But then there are also all of these crazy Hollywood tell-alls where I'm interacting with O.J. Simpson the week before the murders and I'm, you know, getting hung up on by Yoko Ono and I'm taking J-Lo to a Dodgers game and, you know, all of these like just crazy experiences. Um, so yeah, so, you know, I think, um, at one point I read an early chapter from Ruse at a writer's conference, uh, and people freaked out about it, um, because they had never heard about corporate spying and they had, they had no idea of the crazy shenanigans and hijinks and ruses that we used to trick people into giving this secret information. And they said, you've got to write a book about that. And so it was, that, that kind of put the, the seed in the back of my mind. But of course, I also had to be a little careful and I had to wait for the statute of limitations to expire on any potential crimes that I may or may not have committed. And so when those two things kind of coalesced, uh, I was able to publish Ruse. Now, just out of curiosity, do you self-publish or go with a traditional publisher? Oh, no, it's from Penguin Random House. It's yeah, from an so imprint of Penguin big, Random yeah, House. Yeah, big publisher. Yeah. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they told me the thing that they were really, uh, that they flipped out about was the same thing that you got excited about, is they said, we've never had anybody publish a book about corporate spying, let alone someone that was the corporate spy. Right. You know, there are a lot of technical books published, you know, about fraud or, you know, this or that. But, you know, I'm here to tell you, Ruse reads like a spy novel. Uh, it's a page turner. It's fun. But everything in it is true. Wow. 
And, and just just for uh, our listeners' sake, when was when did the book uh, when did it launch? Uh, last spring. Okay, so, so it's just about a year. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, coming up on a year. Coming up on a year. Very yeah. good. And you were sharing some interesting news about sort of the next evolution of Ruse, right? What, what's in the works? Can you share that? Sure. Yeah. You know, um, when you publish a book. Uh, one of the first things is you try to get blurbs, you know, testimonials, endorsements from, you know, other authors and usually authors that are more famous than you. And my publisher reached out to Frank Abagnale, who wrote Catch Me If You Can, which, of course, was turned into an incredible movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks, uh, one of my favorite movies. And to my shock, Frank Abagnale flipped over the book. He read the book. He loved the book. And he gave me this amazing testimonial, which is on the cover of Ruse. Well, of course, as soon as you get the catch me if you can guy raving about your book, Hollywood's ears pricked up and all of these producers, uh, big companies reached out and, um, you know, now Ruse is in development for a TV series, which is, you know, pretty incredible. Um, I'm really excited about it. It's a long process. You know, I, you know, I thought that they they said, hey, we're going to do a TV series. And maybe a week later you were on set shooting. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but it doesn't work like that. It's like, a, you know, we're a, we're like a, a year, you know, almost a year. And, you know, we're, you know, we're maybe about halfway, you know, like you because when you create a series, you not only have to create, you know, a pilot and the first season, but now they want to know you know, what might happen in season three, what might happen in season five, because they want to know that the show has legs, that if it is successful, that there's enough content there. So they've kind of kept me on board, which has been nice because, you know, when you write a book and, you know, my book is a relatively short book, I think it's, you know, 285 pages, whatever. Um, But, you know, you know, I have stories that, of course, are not in the book, many stories that are not in the book, and they want those stories because if you're going to have a series and it's going to run, they need the, that kind of content. Wow. Very cool. So does this mean, I know, I, I don't know the industry enough, but I would imagine, you know, does it look like this is definitely a go or is it still like one of those things where, it, you know, something could happen? You know, I, I'm not going to believe it until the, you know, I'm sitting on the set and there's a chair that says Robert Kerbeck, you know, writer on it. <laughs> but, you know, there's a production company behind it. They have 20 or 30 shows on air, including uh, I just watched last night Showtime's Your Honor. That's one of their shows. Um, there's a showrunner attached. Um, you know, we've done the pitch. We've basically sketched out the entire first season. And now we've been asked to sketch out, you know, see, you know, like basically seasons two and season three. And then we're going to bring that back. And I think at that point, if they like the arc of seasons one, two, and three, I think then we're going to be a go. Very good. Very cool. Yeah. Well, again, another first for our podcast, which is having, you know, someone who actually can turn... I was, there was one other guest I had who was out in L.A. when I interviewed him. He was from Australia, and he was mm-hmm. in L.A. doing some sort of, you know, I don't know if it was a meet or if they were actually in production, but he was trying to turn his book into something big, too. So almost a year, uh, traditional publisher, you know, there's a lot of a different trajectory than a lot of, like, self-published authors. But, Robert, can you share in the last year kind of, you know, what what have you been doing to get your book out there? Obviously, you're on podcasts. I would imagine you've been yeah. on a lot of podcasts. What else What else have you done over the last year to share Ruse with your uh, audience? Well, I love that question because, you know, uh, everyone, I think, knows how hard it is to write a book, right? 
everyone knows how hard it is to get a book published, especially from a traditional publisher these days, right? But what I didn't know, and I think many, uh, many listeners and authors or potential authors don't know, is how hard it is to market a book. Um, and even for me, uh, with the help of, you know, uh, a big publisher and, and a, and a pub, you know, publicity team and whatnot, um, it's, it, it's really a lot now on the author. So, you know, if you're self-publishing it, maybe it's 100% on you, you know. If you're traditionally publishing, it's 95% <laughs> on you. <laughs> so it's still on you. And so that's something I, I do want to share is that, you know, be prepared to work, you know, and be prepared to work hard. Um, I work hard um, and it's really been um, wonderful to see a lot of that work pay off. And I really believe uh, in the one reader at a time mm. uh, model. So it's basically one book at a time because you never know one book can lead into so much. You know, one person can read it. They can recommend it to their book club. Well, their book club is 10 people. And two of those people are in other book clubs. And now they recommend, and all of a sudden now that one book turns into 32 books, right? And that's, again, just one example. You do a podcast and, you know, five or six people, you know, 10 people, 12 people, 100 people, two, whatever it is, those things really um, um, just um, are what is critical for authors to get the word out is to do, I, I never say no to any event. Mm. Well, you know, and it's, what's amazing, Robert, is so many authors, I think, tend to be a bit short-sighted when it comes to the marketing. Like, you know, even if they do a little bit of marketing when the book launches, it wanes very quickly. And you're right. I always say it's it's a persistent, consistent effort. You know, here you are almost a year after the books come out. You're yeah. still on podcasts. I'm sure you're doing other things. Um, and I love that one reader at a time. That's a that's a great way to think about it. Because, yeah. you know, it, it, and somebody told me book marketing, which I I think about this all the time. It's not a sprint; it's a marathon yeah, for sure. And I was also told minimum a year to market your book. Minimum a year. You know, I know a lot of authors; they think three months or something. You know, minimum a year. And I'm here to tell you, I am booking more in-person events, podcasts, interviews today than when the first when the book first came out. Wow. Well, it's, yeah, it's because probably the cumulative effect. Exactly, exactly. People are reading it. People are hearing about it. You know, the, the reviews have been great. And so all of a sudden now other people are reaching out. And of course, corporate spying, even though, you know, you know, corporate spying is is in in the news as much today as ever. Right. People are just interested in that, you know, and of course, there's not a lot of competition because I'm the only corporate spy that's written a book about <laughs> corporate spying. <laughs> so uh, you're you're speaking keynoting, stuff mm -hmm. like that. You're on podcasts. Is there anything else that you found, Robert, uh, beneficial and useful to getting the word out there since you've launched the book? Well, you know, the podcast community has been incredible. And, and I, and, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit, you know, the podcast community, of course, has exploded in popularity in the last, you know, couple of years, but it's still a very small community. Um, and the people, uh, you know, I can't tell you, you know, how many podcast shows I've done where the host has recommended me to someone else, another podcast. I can't tell you how many times someone watched me on a podcast and then reached out and said, hey, I've got this group. I've got this organization. Can you speak here? Can you do, you know, so it really creates a lot of energy. And so I really recommend um, getting involved with the podcasts. You know, we connected on Podmatch, which I think is a great site. Um, and, um, so that's something I think, um, you know, authors should really look to take advantage of. Yeah. I mean, to that point, I just had another interview. You're the second one today 
And as soon as I hung up, uh, you know, got off the Zoom with the gentleman, I sent three different emails connecting him with three other pod, two other hosts and one, uh, he has a podcast too, um, as a guest. And you're right, it's that, it, it, it definitely works that way. So the first book, Malibu Burning, mm. was that now, was that also a traditionally published book or did you... Yeah, that was a small press, um, which unfortunately went out of business because, um, yeah, well, COVID, you know, COVID hit a lot of, you know, a lot of industries, took a lot of restaurants, you know, uh, small publishers, you know, just people that didn't have the the deep pockets to survive, right? Um, But it was a wonderful experience um, writing the book. Obviously, you know, we live here in Malibu. We fought the fire to save our house. 17 of 19 on our street burned to the ground. Um... Uh, over 200 in my neighborhood of 280 homes burned. I mean, it, you know, we, we were really ground zero of the fire. Um, people died, you know, animals died. A um, couple thousand homes were lost. And, um, you know, I, I, after the fire, the LA Times reached out and they said, hey, we know you live there. Um, you know, do you have any good fire stories? And I'm like, well, as a matter of fact, we fought the fire, saved our house, barely survived. So I wrote an essay for them. They published it. And then, it, and then this small publisher saw it and said, hey, we want a book on the wildfire. So I wrote Malibu Burning. And it was really um, a true labor of love because, you know, your audience, you know, most people have been to Malibu. You know, it's the most famous beachfront community in the world. Um, but they have this image of Malibu. Everybody there is rich and famous. And maybe if you live on the ocean side of the Pacific Coast Highway, that's true. But if you live on the land side of the Pacific Coast Highway, up into the hills and the mountains and the canyons, it's very, very different. Retired police officers, retired firefighters, teachers, elderly, broke surfers, you know. And that those are the areas that were really impacted by the fire. And those were the people that came together and, you know, there were examples of three or four people saving an entire neighborhood of two, three hundred homes, you know, elderly people that stayed behind putting out fires with their boots, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it was really a community effort. And that was what I wanted to show in this book is that Malibu really is a small town and it's a small town of people that love each other, um, you know, a lot of average people um, coming together to do great things. And, um, and that was something that, um, I was really pleased, you know, Malibu burning, you know, uh, not to toot my own horn because I feel like I was just channeling other people's stories, but the book has won a couple of national awards. And, um, and I'm, I'm really pleased that it, it, it really showed the true Malibu, which a lot of people don't, don't know that it exists. There's a real sort of frontier element still to Malibu Hmm. to this day. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Who'd have thunk? Wow. Yeah. So, Robert, you bring a lot of experience at, at, at a, you know, a unique level um, with the author, publishing, marketing of a book journey. I'd love to just hear, is there any, any misconception or a mistake that maybe you made or was made that you just would want to warn others about in the, either the writing, the publishing part, or even the marketing part? Just something that would really be helpful to our listeners to kind of watch out for. Yeah, I mean, look, um, I'm a big supporter of self-publishing and a believer in self-publishing, but I do think there is a little bit of a tendency to publish uh, too quickly and um, because you can do it, you know, you can do it on Amazon, you can do it, it's pretty user-friendly, it's not, there's not a lot of cost involved, Um, but if you really want your book to be read and if you really want your book to have some sort of audience, you know, you really, I think, need to take the time 
and try to do a book that is as good as, if not better than a traditionally published book. So you need an editor, you need a copy editor, you need a, you know, a, 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 you know, a graphic designer that designs you a knockout cover, you know, you need to get blurbs from authors that are known, you know, you need to, you know, there's a lot of things and you need to be prepared to work like crazy to market it, you know, you need to have a website, you need to be on social media, and you know, you need to do all those things. If you want people to read your book. Now, if you just want to publish it and have your friends and family, that, that's cool too. But if you want to have any sort of audience, um, you've got to do all of those things. And I think even more importantly, when you write the book, the book has to create some sort of conversation, right? Malibu burning, what's the conversation? Wildfires, you know, are they getting worse? Why, why are they getting worse? What can we do about it? How do communities come together in disasters? You know, uh, you know, you know, what, what happened to Lady Gaga in the fire, right? Like all these kind of conversations when you write a book like that. And I think everybody that writes a book has to just think about what kind of conversations am I trying to stimulate with this book? And if you can get really great conversations stimulated from your book, people are going to want to buy that book. They're going to want to read that book. Just out of curiosity, I mean, obviously you've got a lot going on, but is there a third book coming? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I had my first book of fiction. I actually started writing, you know, you know, I was an English major in college and then I did all these other things, acting, corporate spying, and circled back to writing, you know, later in life, obviously. So I've kind of gone back to the beginning. And when I first kind of came back to writing, I was writing short stories and I got a mm. bunch of short stories published. And now I've written my first book, um, uh, not surprisingly, it is about a con man. Um, it's about a world-renowned antique Islamic carpet expert and his train wreck of a life. He's basically a carpet con man, and it's called Sex, Rugs, and Rock and Roll. <laughs> really? Is it now? Is this yeah. published? No, not yet. It's, it's gonna, you know, it'll, 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 it, that's my next book. Yeah, nice. it's done. It's done. It's done. Uh, but uh, you know, and again, that's something your audience may not know. When you get your book accepted from a publisher, it does not come out for 12 to 18 months, 12 to 18 months. Now, self-publishing, obviously, you can do much more quickly. But traditional publishing, they've got to get it in the pipeline and all the reviews set up with the newspapers and in the catalogs, and, and that takes time. And one last quick question on that, because you know I have yet to go traditional. I've thought about it a couple of times. I've had some things. I've talked to a couple of agents in the past, but uh, it seems, and then when I talk to people who've been traditionally published, you know, they, it seems to be, and I could, this could be my misconception, but that like one of the top two things that you need if you're going to go published, I mean, obviously if you have a really timely story, it's a little bit easier, I would imagine, yeah. but it's about having that following. They want to know that you have a marketing engine, you have the social media pull, you have that influence. Is that did you find that to be true, you know, part of? Well, one thing I think is true for sure is it's much easier to publish nonfiction than fiction, mm -hmm. right? Nonfiction is easier than fiction because if you're publishing something nonfiction, you know, obviously it's a true story. And usually if you're writing about a true story, you have some connection to it. You're an authority in that space, you know, uh, you know, you know, obviously Malibu burning. I fought the fire and I lived in Malibu, right? Ruse, I am a corporate spy, or at least I was a corporate spy. So I think um, definitely nonfiction is easier and you've got to really promote your bona fides 
as an expert in whatever you're writing about. And again, you're an expert writing about something that's designed to stimulate a conversation, you know? Um, and then I think platform is still important, but if, if you're really an expert and it's a really, you're stimulating some really cool and interesting conversation, I feel like publishers aren't going to say, oh, well, you better have, you know, 10,000 followers or a hundred thousand followers or a million, whatever number I don't think they're going to do that. If, if you're coming from those two yeah. places, because, because look, most people, I don't have a tremendous social media following, just don't, you know, and I work hard at it and I'm constantly trying to improve it and it is improving, but it's not easier, especially if you're not a young person, you know, I have a, yep. I have a nephew and he posts a picture of himself smiling with a, a funny face and he's getting thousands of likes. I'm posting that I'm hosting a literary salon with ESPN legend Stephen A. Smith and I get a fraction of the number of likes, you know, um, because, you know, young people are on social media more than older people. Robert, great insights. I really enjoyed this. A lot of wisdom, a lot of just unique value that you brought today. So I do appreciate that. How can our listeners learn more about you? And what's, you know, what's, where's the best place for them to grab either of your current books? Oh, I appreciate that. You know, I just tell people to go to my website. It's um, simply my name, robertkerbeck.com, K-E-R-B-E-C-K. And um, you can buy Malibu Burning there. You can buy Ruse there. Um, but you can also see the trailer for Ruse, um, which is up on the site. I saw that, so you by can, the way. Yeah, yeah, so you can get a sense of yeah. what the series is going to be like. So, And there's a lot of cool stuff on there, too. You know, you can see some of my old acting day, you know, when I did the lead in a couple of MTV videos. And you can see video of me dancing with O.J. Simpson right before he became the world's most infam infamous murderer. And so there's a lot of fun stuff on the site. Very good. Well, Robert, I do appreciate your time today. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Mike. And to my listeners, thank you. And if you found this podcast helpful, please help me grow it by sharing with your network and leaving a review on Apple Podcast. Till next time, this is Mike Capuzzi. Thank you for listening to the Author Factor Podcast. To learn more about Mike's unique short book publishing opportunities, please visit bitesizedbooks.com.